Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Well, good morning again. I'm Bruce Strugsma. Uh, if you weren't here earlier, senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. And as the kids go off to uh, Sunday school, the little kids, um, it is my pleasure to invite up this morning, as Ed already prayed for Luke. Luke VM is coming up. Luke uh, is a friend of mine. Luke graduated from Crown uh, a few years ago. I won't say how many. Uh, I'll let him share that information if he so chooses. Uh, we worked together at Westgate, and then he went to Denver Seminary, graduated from Denver Seminary, and now took over as the groups director at Westgate Church, uh, where I was before. And so, Which was part of your job. Which was part of my job. That is true. <laughs> I get to um, pick up all your pieces. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So he knows, he knows all the dirty laundry. So, um, Thank you for having me, Bruce. Appreciate it. Welcome. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I, I gotta say, I love being here. It feels a bit like home to me. Um, even the prayer for the people in the church that need it. Um, I have been at big mega churches for about the past 10 years or so. And I've gotta say, like, there is something missing when we don't pray for the people in our body. And when you're at a large church, that just seems impractical. But I just felt the sense of home when I was able to join you for those prayers. And I just appreciate so much the, the warm welcome that you've given me and my wife. Um, this is my first chance to, to speak in a handful of years, and I'm just so uh, excited to be here. Thank you, Bruce, for, for having me. Just a quick snapshot of my life so you know who is this guy who's up front in front of you. Um, I'm Luke Viam. I'm 32 years old. Um, my first baby is on the way. Um, we, uh, my wife and I got married about three years ago, and that is around the same time I uh, started attending Westgate, though at the time it was Wyzetta Free Church. Um, before that, I was working at Church of the Open Door on their facilities team. Before that, I was in Hibbing, Minnesota, way up north as a youth pastor. And it was before that once again, not going to share how many years ago, that I was at Crown College. Though I will say it was a few years after Bruce had graduated. We were not friends at Crown. He was long before me. So I'm excited to open the word this morning. Um, and we're, we're in the Psalms. Psalms are fun. They're a little tricky and different, though. I could tell as I was sharing with friends and family that I was going to be preaching, they always ask me, oh, what text are you preaching? And I'd be like, Psalm 107. And that's the response I got. <laughs> like, what is that? Um, we're not regularly in the Psalms. We rarely preach out of the Psalms. It, it takes a special uh, sermon series, a special pastor to bring it up, to talk about these ancient poems I, I don't know, I, I doubt any of your friends are going to say, yeah, I just thought about a 3,000-year-old poem for, for about a half hour this morning. What, 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 what did you do? It's very cultured, if you, if you say it that way. And I'm excited to open it up. Um, a couple things about Hebrew poetry is they have this structure that's a little different. It is called um, parallelism, where you have an idea, and then you might have an, another thought, but then the idea comes up again. And it's this pattern so that for a people that rarely would read, they could remember and memorize um, the word of God more easily because it would be like, 
oh, I say this, and then a different thought, and then a complementary thought. Um, and that is a little bit, um, I, I hope to bring that out a little bit. Um, Psalm 107, I will be reading it out. It is the start of book five of the Psalms. Psalms are broken up in five sections to reflect the five books of Moses. Um, there's all these little Easter eggs in the Old Testament that are fun to draw out. So this is Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeem of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the word of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' ends. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. 
When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander into trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. So as, we, as I bro- broke down this text and tried to think about how do I present this, because it's a pretty sizable um, amount of scripture, how do I break this down in ways that we can remember? And I thought of like, what if I were to like build something up or kind of make this easier to, to chew on and to remember? So we're going to start a, a little countdown. We're going to go four, three, two, one. And so the, the first thing I want to bring up is there are four common perils in, in this text. Uh, the first one is, is the wilderness. So these are the four um, main chunks, chunks of the scripture. So in verses 4 through 9, the, the psalmist talks about um, what it's like to go through the wilderness. And this was a f- regular image of expression for the Israelites because they had a season of their life as a community where they wandered through the wilderness. Um, the 40 years that the Israelites wandered from Egypt into the promised land, this became a part of their, their thinking that the wilderness was this place of testing, but not just testing, but where God provided. And what they really were hoping for and wanting during that time was a place called home. And so when you're away from home, when you're, and this is where I tried to make it a little more relevant to us, because I I think very rarely we experience a lot of time in the wilderness, unless you're you're going camping. Um, And even then, like in Minnesota, you go camping, and that's pretty nice. But what if you go like camping in Arizona, where it's hot during the day, cold during the night, there's nobody around, there's no like water or food, and you're just like, if I was out here with no supplies, I would die. And I think that to go from that as an image into how do I make this relatable to how people actually feel now, I think a lot of people suffer in the wilderness of loneliness. We suffer when we feel disconnected from people, when we don't have a city to call our home, when we don't have a people surrounding us that can support and love us, we find ourselves lost. We find ourselves searching for any sustenance that we can find, anything that might fill up the void inside when we feel alone. We, we cry out. We, it's, we don't have the things we need to survive. And one of the things that we need most deeply is community, people that love us, care for us, support us. And so when we start feeling alone, we start wandering going from this to that without anything to tie us down. And in that loneliness, um, we isolate um, and we become afraid, afraid of other people, afraid of what they might do to us. And there, there's so many reasons why this might happen, but this is a common thing, a common thing to feel alone in the world with no one looking out for you. And if you feel this way or have felt this way, you can commiserate with the psalmist who wrote about the struggles of the wilderness. The second common peril is that I like to call the pit. 
Um, the psalmist talks about like going down into a dungeon, being chained up. There's nowhere to go. Um, and this, I like to link to addiction or sin, anything that holds us into bondage that we would rather be free of. I think of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 where he talks about, I do the things that I don't want to do, but the things that I do, I don't do those. I feel trapped. I feel like the sinful nature has got me down and I can't break free. How, how can I get free of this body of death? And, and in the pit, we feel trapped. We feel like something apart from us is holding us down. We, we are locked up in chains. Our hands can't do the things we want them to do. Our feet can't go where we want to go. Our mind can't even think about the things we want to think about. And I think a huge part of this are the dark spiritual forces in the world that want to keep God's people and all humanity down. The, the, and, and this is incredibly expressed throughout culture. I, I think the whole addictive part of our society is evidence that there are spiritual forces that want to hold us down. They want to hold us down by um, poor relationships with food. Whether it's the, the not eating, the anorexia, or if it's the overeating, the binging, um, that clearly shows that something is wrong and these people don't want to do it, they feel trapped. Whether it's struggles with uh, social media and technology, such an easy thing to get mindlessly trapped into that every second where there's a, a moment of downtime, the phone comes out and you're scrolling. We're, we're trapped to those devices. For others, I, I think it, it's the, um, the trap of pornography. I think this is a huge one in our society or of any sexual expression that goes outside of God's care or any um, hidden sexual deviancy. And I, I even think how for a lot of Christians this gets filled with shame and we get beaten down where in society it's celebrated. I mean, this month is Pride Month, where a lot of celebrations happen around um, sexual addiction, I would say. And it's dangerous. And I, I say this from a place of also having been trapped there. The, these addictions, this pit, I know what it's like to be down deep. I'm sure sure many people do. I can just look at the stats between uh, food, technology, pornography, um, shopping is a huge one. If we go through all those lists, I, I think eventually all of us would be like, yeah, I think that's me. We all suffer from being locked in a pit with our hands chained up, with the gates closed, just like Peter was in the scripture. Like, I feel like a whole lot of things from this service are all tied together. Peter was trapped. He had no way out on his own. This, being trapped in a pit, in prison, to addictions or anything else that we feel trapped to, is a common peril I think everyone can relate to. The third uh, common peril that I have is sickness. Um, and I, I tie this to anxiety. The, the text is a little interesting because in the ESV, which I read from, uh, what is named is foolishness. But if you look at the NIV, if that's the version you read, it says, in sickness, 
they were held in affliction. And I think this is really interesting where how do we relate foolishness, which is, I think, pretty clear what it means to be a fool. It's both having, it's having indiscretion, but always kind of bent towards like negative moral self-centered outcomes. But being sick, like no one can like help being sick. They just get sick. And so as I, I think of how is this a common peril, um, sickness, anxiety, foolishness, I think there are so many ways that we get caught up in our own head about the pressures of life. How we, we, we just get stuck in this anxiety, this idea of, man, I, I'm getting myself all worked up about this and I have no reason to. We get trapped in cycles of thinking that, that are not helpful. I, I, I know, and then it, it talks about in the text how these people, like, don't even want to eat. In the wilderness, you, you don't eat, you don't drink because you have nothing around. When, when we're caught up in this sickness of anxiety or foolishness, we don't even want to eat. And I know this is one of those different ways that people balance stress and anxiety. Some people overeat and get trapped in that. Personally, I'm the person that, like, I'll go days without eating if I'm feeling anxious. I'm like, I don't want to eat anything. I, I, there's already too much going on in here. I can't add food to the mix. That'd be, that'd be wild. And this is where I start seeing how the pattern of the Hebrew text is going from, we got the wilderness, and then we go into the pit. But then paralleled with the pit is when we're trapped in the pit, it's outside of our control. When we're stuck in our foolishness, we're our own worst enemies. This is a parallel to being trapped. It's instead of being trapped by outside forces, we're being trapped by the inward forces of our own bodies, our own selves. And we, we get stuck so much that we're like, we don't even have a vision for how do we get out of this. We need healing. We need something outside of ourselves to fix ourselves. And the fourth one, the fourth common peril is the sea, which I look at as overexertion. And I have just been just thinking this whole week, um, initially when I put in my notes, like talking about the sea, I, I was going to talk about how I grew up here in Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. I'm pretty confident on the water. Like I have been on a boat, on, in the bow of the boat since I was old enough to be in the bow of the boat, enough so I could crawl up there. And, like, I just love riding the waves. I love tubing, skiing, wakeboarding, kneeboarding. I love it all. But I remember the first time I went on the ocean, and it was a different experience. I felt fear like I hadn't felt before, like, I do not belong here. But that was the illustration I was going to use before this week. This week, I can't help but think of that crew of five in this merciful that went to look at the Titanic, but through some sort of catastrophic event, weren't able to go home. The sea is still dangerous. As a metaphor, it still works back then like it does now. And, and I even love the reason why these people went out to look at the Titanic. They, there, there were the tourists, but then there were the people who, was, who were running the business. They were trying to make money, which is exactly the same thing in the text. People went out to see trying to earn money, trying to make a living. But just like the wilderness isn't a great place to be, it's not meant for humans to live and flourish, the sea is another area where we're not meant to flourish. 
And as I go from that to like, what is it like for me trying to make more money, try to hustle, I overexert myself. I think my abilities can do more than what I can actually do. I think I can do more than what I can actually accomplish. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that. We get stuck thinking, oh, I can do that. I can volunteer more. I can, I can take on a second part-time job. Um, and then we start realizing what we're sacrificing. We're sacrificing time with family. A lot of times we're sacrificing our health. A lot of times we just keep saying yes to things and we have no idea how we're going to actually accomplish it. And then the deadline comes and we're like, what did I get myself into? I said yes to way more than I could possibly do. And I think I'm not the only one who does that. I think this is a common peril that all humans experience. We might not go out into the wilderness for 40 years and wander without a city to live in. We might never be imprisoned and get chained up in a pit. We might never get ourselves so sick that we haven't eaten to the point of death. And for many of us, we'll probably never go on the sea where we might not make it out, except for Bruce on some of his sailing trips. (laughs) All of these troubles are common even if you never experience the stated circumstances from the text. And as I looked at these four common perils, I thought, how, how do people respond to common perils? Like, how are there different types of people and how they choose to go through it? So, and I found three types of people. Like I said, we're, we're doing a countdown. So we went from four common perils, three types of people. The first type of person that I thought of, and I probably thought of this because this is me, People who don't ask for help because they don't think they need it. And they suffer from pride. And I know I'm not alone because the stereotype of men never asking for directions is a stereotype for a reason. Just think about it. This is the type of person who, I I can do it. I don't need help. I, I said yes to these things, and through my grit and my ability, I will get through this. And some people are this way because they are very capable. Because for the most part throughout their life, they've been able to get through the circumstances of their life. For other people, they choose to not ask for any help <clears throat> because of trauma in their life. Because they've been betrayed by someone who was supposed to help them but didn't show up when they needed it. And because of that moment of feeling betrayed, they vowed to never ask for help again, no matter the situation, and they were going to get through by the, the ability of their own lives. Second type of person is people who don't ask for help because they are hopeless. This is kind of the flip if we have people who suffer from pride who don't ask for help. People who suffer from shame also struggle asking for help. These people think they're too far gone. They've been stuck for far too long and they have no hope left. And this may be because they don't think anybody actually cares about them. But this can also be because they don't even know how people could help them. They, they can't even perceive their life apart from the disaster that they've gotten themselves into. Another very important thing about me is I am a super nerd. 
and I am a super nerd about a lot of things in culture, whether it be Marvel superheroes, whether it be like these different uh, cartoons, Star Wars, Avatar. I, I love just about all sci-fi, all fantasy, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Chronicles of Narnia. Yes, 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 yes. Also, I love to nerd out about the Bible. I think I've shown a little bit of that about like the Hebrew chiasms, all that. But as I was thinking about a person who wouldn't ask for help because they thought they were hopeless, they had no capacity to think about what it would be to go from the dark side to the light side, it's Darth Vader. And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, I need to watch this scene. So I, I pulled up Disney Plus on my laptop. I'm like, Return of the Jedi. I want to go to where, where Luke and Darth Vader are on the forest moon of Endor. And Luke is like, I know there's still good in you, Father. I know you were once Anakin Skywalker. And Darth Vader says, that name has no meaning to me anymore. Your father is dead. But we all know how the story ends where Darth Vader is redeemed as he destroys the emperor and saves Luke. And it's just one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema. But don't be a Darth Vader. (laughs) It's that simple. You are not too far gone. Nobody is too far gone. If you need help, ask for help. Don't be hopeless. The third type of person, and this is the type of person I would plead with you to be, is be a person who asks for help and receives it. And this is the posture of humility, where we recognize that I am in deep over my head. I need help. I need to reach out and ask for it. And in the in this the psalm, the people are always crying out in their distress. And God hears them, he saves them. And I, I think it's great that the first step always should be turning to the Lord. We should always turn and ask for God to help deliver us. But if that's as far as we go, I think we will be, we'll have the perception that we're being slighted. Because I fundamentally believe that God's way he works in the world is through people. And so as we call out for help, as we see we need it, we need to not just ask for it from God, but we need to ask for it from God's people. And that's where the humility meets the pride and the shame. Because I, I know it's been really easy in my life to call out to God in those quiet, secret moments, asking for deliverance. But it's way different when I break the silence to another human being to say, I am caught in this, and I need help. I've prayed for 10 years for this to go away, and nothing has worked. And then you realize, well, I never talked to another human being about it. And as soon as, like, I started doing that, lo and behold, God showed up, started ministering to my soul through other people. So please call out to God and call out to your neighbor. We are called to love and serve the Lord and to love and serve our neighbors as well. So if you are in the midst of a dark moment, pick up the phone. Call someone. Call someone who you can trust to help you. It might be Pastor Bruce. It might be one of your elders. It might be your small group leader. There are so many people I trust in this community that would be happy to hear from you. Happy to hear you calling out for help. 
four common perils, three types of people, two faith-filled responses. The first is, the first faith-filled response is those who actually do cry out in their distress, and the Lord saves them. As we can see, this happens four times to correlate to the four common perils. Every time people called out in their distress, the Lord heard them and saved them. God's eyes are open. His ears are listening. He is just waiting for his people to call out so that he can step in and rescue them. But often this, we, this faith-filled response usually only happens when we've exhausted all other options. Usually when we've, like the term, when we've reached the end of our rope. And the, and the thing is, I don't want you to have to wait till you, till you reach the end of your rope. The time is now to have a faith-filled response <laughs> to your troubles, to your, um, to your problems. And I, I was thinking that all I'm asking you is for you to cry out. Um, I love the metaphor that we are the Lord's sheep. Because sheep, as an animal, are really helpless. They've really got nothing going for them. They're soft, they're fluffy, they're very tasty, but they don't have sharp teeth, they don't have claws, uh, they can kick, but it's kind of a wimpy kick. Really, when sheep get into trouble, the only thing they can do is bleat. They can only cry out and hope that their shepherd comes and saves them. I have this little video of a sheep that I'd love you to watch just to see how helpless we are as the Lord's sheep. And isn't that the truth? How many of us, as soon as we cry out for help in our distress, we are saved and bounce, bounce, bounce back into it? We are not saved once and done. We are saved once and done for our salvation. But God doesn't want us to just get us saved and send us on our way. We are going to face countless troubles in our lives. And he wants to save us. He wants to save us from every single one of them. Even if it is as foolish as jump, jump, right back into it. A good shepherd, the the good shepherd, will come again with that rope and once again grab the sheep and pull them out. That is God's heart towards us. He longs to continuously show up as our Savior. And then that happens, we have the second faith-filled response. And that's the people. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. This shows up another four times in the text. As a response to after people were saved, they started singing praises out. They couldn't keep silent about how the Lord has shown up in their life. This is not just a common refrain in this psalm, But as you continually read the Psalms, you'll find that give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever, keeps popping up. I believe it's Psalm 136. Every other line is give thanks to the Lord 
for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. It's like the psalmists want to beat this into the people's heads so that they never get too far away from both that truth and from expressing it out loud. And key to, that, to this phrase is um, what gets translated as steadfast love. In the Hebrew, it's one word, chesed, and you have to do the <laughs> sound um, that English doesn't really do at all, but a little bit of German does. Um, and this word, I think, is the most important term in the Old Testament. And I would try, if anyone wanted to debate, I would try to make the argument that it's the most important word in all of the, the Bible. And because it continuously pops up as what is core to God's character, his behavior towards humanity, and the way he wants to just show us love. And a lot of times it also gets um, translated as loyal love, this love that is bonded to another because of a deep commitment between them. Um, this is the love that Ruth shows to Naomi, uh, a love that goes beyond what is necessary in their culture. This is one of the key words that God uses to describe himself to Moses. The Lord says, I am the Lord. I am gracious. I am compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This steadfast love, I, I don't even like steadfast love because we, like, who uses the term steadfast? The term I do like is stubborn because I have been called stubborn my whole life. I know what that means. It means that I will set my face to something and I will continually try to do it until I accomplish it, good or bad. God's love, his loving kindness towards us, his will for us to have good is stubborn. It doesn't back down from adversity. It doesn't even change directions when we don't deserve it. It is steadfast. It isn't going anywhere. God's love is the one thing in the universe we can always rely on. Which brings me to my one eternal truth. Four common perils, three types of people, two faith-filled responses, one eternal truth. And it's simple. God saves. There is a foundational piece that is the bedrock of everything you hear from me this morning. It's this, that God just wants to save you. From whatever you're facing, whatever your, your trial, your peril, whatever words I can use to describe hardship, God wants to save you. And this is also where I want to say there is not a fourth type of person. Because I think a lot of us feel like a fourth type of person sometimes. When we cry out to the Lord for help, and no help comes. That does not exist in God's economy, in God's universe. Even if that does feel like our lived experience. Because God often works in these great reversals. We see that towards the end of the psalm, where sometimes it feels like he's taking something that's really fruitful, a river providing life, but then he turns it into a wasteland. He takes a city and turns it into rubble. Often because of sin. Often that just happens because of our own consequences of behavior. But the Lord also will take a dry place and make it fruitful 
And often he'll take a place that was beautiful through the consequences of actions. It becomes a wasteland. He will make it beautiful again. And his timing is different than our timing. Because often we get into these troubles and we're like, I want an immediate fix. I want all this to turn really smooth for me right now. But God doesn't need to work that way. He is playing a long game with his people. He's playing a long game with you. Not just for your safety and your security. He does want that for you. But he's also playing the long game of your character, of your development as a person, of you continuing to learn to rely on him. God works in the time frame of forever. (laughs) Even if it looks bad for you right now, and bad can look a lot, can look really different for different people. And sometimes it looks bad in a way that is what I like, to, like, what I call death bad. Like if God doesn't show up now, I am toast. Or if God doesn't show up <clears throat> now, this person that I love is toast. And <clears throat> God will even show up there, even if it looks like He, He isn't or hasn't. Because I'm just, this is the gospel truth to me, that God has, that Jesus has faced this for us first. Even when it looks death bad. Because when we face the wilderness, Jesus went into the wilderness and faced the temptations, faced hunger and thirst and isolation on our behalf. He faced the wilderness on our behalf. He was put in chains, into a pit, put on trial on our behalf. He suffered the afflictions of our iniquities. He didn't deserve it, but he chose to take them on. What we should have experienced of our poor decisions, our anxieties, he took upon himself willing to face it for us. And the sea, he went onto the sea, a raging sea, slept through it. But then when he was awakened, he stilled it with just the, with the whisper of his voice and everything grew silent. And more than that, when he went into the pit, in his death, he experienced everything that we deserved. But death, he broke the gates of death asunder. And the bonds of our sin, he broke in two. He is our champion who goes through everything before us so that when we face it, we face it already victorious. He has delivered us already completely. We just need to ask for it to be applied to us and it will be. And it might be now, but it might be the type of affliction, the type of illness, the type of trouble that leads us to the end of our life here and now. But we can even go through that confidently because Jesus has gone through the sea of death and come out the other side alive and victorious, and we know that he guarantees that to us as well. 
We don't have to fear anything because Jesus has overcome everything. And he does that because he loves us. I, I, I didn't think I was going to go here, but John 3.16, people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. They shall be saved. It's bedrock. It's, it's why I'm so excited about this book, about the story, why I've given my life to him. Because he has saved me. And he is continually saving me. Do not grow weary in your faith. God's love will make a way for you. His love is more stubborn than a rock, longer lasting than the mountains. He will never stop loving you. I'm going to invite the worship team up to sing one last song. I'm going to read some of the passage again, though. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the north and the south, from the east and the west. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield, by his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless lands. But he raises up the needy out of their affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad. And all wickedness shuts its mouth. Now whoever is wise, let him attend these things. Let him pay careful attention to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for sharing from God's word. And thank you, worship team, for that great, great segue into our benediction this morning from Numbers Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.